Welcome to Neo Chats, an interview style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well being of newborns and their families. This podcast is proudly sponsored by AstraZeneca Canada. Hello, and welcome to the show. On this episode of Neo Chats, we'll delve into the epidemiology of RSV. My guest is Dr. Jesse Pappenberg, who practices pediatric infectious diseases and medical microbiology at the Montreal Children's Hospital of the McGill University Health Centre. His research is on the epidemiology of viral respiratory infections, with a focus on diagnostics to improve treatments and outcomes. He often contributes to national and provincial guidelines on RSV. Welcome to NeoChats. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm wondering if we could start with maybe just a, a bit of an overview of, of what we've been seeing lately with RSV. Yeah, so the last few seasons have been really quite unusual or particular with regards to RSV. And I think, as you know, RSV typically is a winter season respiratory virus. So, uh, you know, you can see RSV circulating in Canada anywhere between November to March or April, depending on the season and depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, with peaks uh, tending to occur in the midwinter months of uh, December, January, February, uh, that's when we see the most RSV circulating and the greatest number of hospitalizations also due to RSV. But in March of 2020, the RSV season came to an abrupt halt with the all the public health measures that came into place to try and fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and these things such as, you know, wearing masks, uh, social distancing, uh, more frequent hand washing, uh, just less social interactions in general, uh, really shut down uh, circulation of other respiratory viruses rather abruptly. So uh, the RSV season kind of ground to a, a halt. Uh, influenza also stopped circulating at that time. And uh, really what we saw is uh, very little respiratory virus circulation over the following summer. But remarkably, the next winter, so that 2020-21 winter, there was almost no RSV that circulated in Canada at all. Um, and uh, very, very few hospitalizations due to RSV during that winter, when, as you know, RSV is actually the leading cause of hospitalization in kids under one year of age. And, and we practically didn't see any at all during that entire winter season. It was really quite remarkable. And many other places in the world saw a similar kind of disruption of RSV circulation that we saw. But then what happened after that, you know, different parts of the world experienced different types of resurgences of RSV, uh, sometimes out of season. Uh, parts of Europe saw in the spring of 2021 RSV circulating or in the summer. And what we saw in Canada was really interesting in that Quebec had a very, very early RSV season in that 2021 summer and fall uh, with peak that occurred uh, in December. And then by January in Quebec, we didn't see any RSV anymore. Uh, so we had to, you know, with regards to our palivizumab prophylaxis program, so synergis for uh, premature babies and other vulnerable populations, young infants that are at high risk for severe RSV disease. In that, uh, that uh, in 2021, we had to start it early and we also stopped it early for, for the reasons that, you know, that the circulations ended quite abruptly. It, it's hard to really understand, or we're trying to understand 
why that happened in Quebec. Why was Quebec so early, and especially compared to other parts of the country that didn't have the same RSV season? In fact, other parts of the country uh, had a more of a normal timing to their start. Uh, the prairies actually uh, went on late and had to extend their syngis immunoprophylaxis uh, later into the spring than usual. But that 21-22 season was already quite unusual. And then this past year, uh, I think everybody uh, is, is familiar with this kind of real surge in RSV that we saw in the fall, most across really all of Canada, pediatric hospitals were inundated with RSV, other respiratory viruses too, but predominantly RSV much earlier than usual, but it was a very, it was an early and very intense RSV season. It just seemed like everybody was getting sick uh, and, and kids were coming into emergency departments sick with RSV, uh, the respiratory viruses too, but like a lot of hospitalizations through RSV and it really strained our healthcare system. Uh, our emergency departments were functioning at overcapacity for months. Our wards where we were trying to find ways to, to manage beds, to be able to admit all these children that being young children being admitted for uh, respiratory syncytial virus and other respiratory infections. Thankfully, that early season also meant uh, that things quieted down earlier as well. And currently in Quebec, we're, we're not really seeing, we're seeing a little bit of RSV transmission, but uh, really not that much, less than we would tend to see it you know, in March uh, this time of year. So again, in Canada, this more synchronized this year, this very early surge in the fall and beginning of winter, uh, and then it kind of trailed off. But it was, I have to say, most people in, that I know across the country they, they tend to say who work in pediatric hospitals say they've never seen anything like it in terms of the sheer numbers of kids that were presenting to emergency departments and requiring hospitalizations due to RSV this winter. And I, I think, you know, I think that the question that everybody is, everyone is asking was, first of all, why did this happen? And there are some hypotheses. I think that what we saw with the COVID-19 measures uh, during lockdown is that because there was no RSV circulating during that winter season of 2020 to 21, we had a larger pool of susceptible individuals in the population at large. You know that we, we do get RSV infections more than, you know, several times during our lifetime and we get infected and then we develop more immunity to it. Uh, and then those antibody levels might wane and we get, we will, you know, a few years later, maybe a decade later, the virus changes a little bit as well. And we get another cold due to RSV uh, that, you know, most, you know, older kids, adults, it's just, like I said, a cold, not, not nothing more than that. But because there hadn't been any RSV, there hadn't been like that kind of boost of infections that then boost different people's antibody levels. Pregnant women hadn't gotten infected with RSV, so they didn't have high levels of antibodies to pass on to their babies uh, during the third trimester. So all this together, uh, you know, what we saw is that there were just more people that were susceptible to getting infected. And then once the public health measures were relaxed, so you had travel, which allowed for seeding RSV into different populations, different parts of the country. And then people were seeing each other mingling again, maybe not wearing as much of a masking as before. This allowed for transmission to occur, but at a much higher rate because one person who was infected would meet more susceptible people. And if you look at it more, so that's at the bigger population level, but then if you look at like these little micro populations of let's say a daycare, uh, where maybe the two-year-olds hadn't had an RSV infection yet. So when the, when the RSV would get into that daycare, boom, it would really spread. 
And sometimes what would happen is that these kids who are in daycare would then bring it back home to the younger children who were you know, under six months of age. Those are the ones that were really most concerned about in terms of risk of hospitalization uh, and severe disease. And that's part of what contributed to that, to, to that uh, real surge that we've experienced. I really want to kind of qualify what I'm saying in that uh, people kind of have used the term immunity debt or, or, or something like that. And it's I guess you can kind of say that I've heard somebody say, well, the piper had to be paid in, te- in terms of, you know, the, because there were just more people that were susceptible when RSV did come, it was spread, it spread more, and we had more infections. But I don't want people to think that our young children, that their immunity was somehow damaged by the public health measures that were put into place by COVID-19, or that our kids are more susceptible to severe infections or anything like that. It's, we haven't, we didn't see an increased proportion of severe infections. We just saw more infections overall. And because that, and then that tip of the iceberg, which is what I tend to see in the hospital, the most severe cases, well, there are more of those because just that iceberg was so much bigger. Uh, just there were more infections overall. So I think that as as the seasons you know progress, we're going to kind of tend to normalize in terms of what we see. Um, so I think that's an important point that people like this immunity debt concept. It's not one at the individual level. Like a, a baby is not a, that was born during the pandemic is not somehow less able to fight off infections. But at the population level, we just had less immunity to RSV. And that's probably what triggered that really intense circulation. Another thing that people have been wondering is that, well, you know, were the kids different during this most recent surge? Were they, you know, there's been some reports that maybe we had more older kids that were being the older, like in the second year of life getting hospitalized, because usually it's really in that first year of life when the risk of the RSV infection going from the upper respiratory tract down into lower respiratory tract it's greatest during the first infection when we have when the child has no immunity at all towards RSV. So there's a greater likelihood that it's going to get down to lower respiratory tract and cause a bronchiolitis or a pneumonia. Because some kids didn't get that first infection earlier on, they maybe had presented, uh, you know, during the second year of life or maybe even third year of life with that first infection getting down into lungs. That being said, an older kid is better. Is, is better equipped or their body can better defend themselves against a, a, the, an RSV infection that gets down into the lungs compared to a younger kid. So in other words, a three-year-old who has an RSV pneumonia is much less likely to get require hospitalization than a three-month-old who winds up with an RSV bronchiolitis because you know, their airways in their lungs are, are, are as we, as the child develops, the airways get bigger. So it's, it's, uh, the, it's the youngest, smallest airways that are most at risk of getting plugged and running into trouble, requiring oxygen, requiring mechanical ventilation, like, and their chest walls get stronger as well. So they can handle a little bit more work of breathing. So it's just always, you know, I think easier when that infection occurs later on in life than when it occurs earlier on. And if we did see more older kids requiring emergency room visits and uh, hospitalizations, I think it's just, again, that tip of the iceberg phenomenon. So we always see some older kids record, you know, it just happened, it does happen, but because there are so many more infections, we happen to see more of those requiring medical care. So again, I think that this is something that will probably now kind of just all even out and we'll get back. My anticipation is that next season, we're going to get back to a more typical epidemiology in terms of the age distribution 
and who's at risk for getting to, for running into trouble really with their RSV infection. And that's primarily kids in the first year of life, but especially in the first six months or the first three months of life uh, when the airways are smallest, when their chest wall is still not as strong. And then obviously the, the, the higher risk populations, we know that premature babies uh, are, are a greater risk for severe RSV infection for a few reasons. One is that they may not have gotten as much or any of the maternal transfer of antibodies uh, because that happens in the third trimester. So babies that were born earlier won't get some of that, won't get that passive protection against RSV that may not protect them 100% from infection, but may allow the infection to stay up in the upper respiratory tract and not get down to the lungs. So there's that lack of maternal antibodies that premature babies have that puts them at risk. And then just because their, their airways are smaller. And then if you add on top of that, we know that premature babies may have some underlying chronic medical conditions that go with having been born premature. So they may have a cardiac disease that requires uh, medication uh, and that puts them at higher risk for severe disease, or they may have chronic lung disease of prematurity. And we know that babies with BPD or bronchopulmonary dysplasia now typically called chronic lung disease of prematurity, they're really the ones that are at highest risk of hospitalization. If they do catch an RSV infection, they're the ones that we really wanna be the most careful with. Join your neonatal nursing colleagues October 1st and 2nd, 2023 in Toronto for the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses Conference, CAN 2023. For all conference and program information, visit the CAN website at www.neonatalcan.ca. Updates and highlights will be posted as they become available. In thinking of that population in particular, our premature infants who are, are at high risk, is there any new information that we're gleaning or any new insights into how we might help those patients? What we've seen over the past few decades is that it seems that premature babies are, you know, the, the advances in neonatal care mean that a baby that was born at, let's say, 30 weeks gestational age in 1990 may have been worse off uh, than a baby who's born at 30 weeks gestational age now in 2023. So those advances in neonatal care mean that our, our, those premature babies' lungs tend to be in better shape when they're leaving the nursery uh, nowadays than they were a couple of decades ago. What, is, what can we do to protect them? Well, we know that the really, the, for specifically for RSV, the only product currently available is palivizumab, which is Synergis, which is given in monthly injections during the RSV season. Uh, and it's a monoclonal antibody that uh, helps to neutralize RSV. And it really, it, it helps to stop it from getting from the upper respiratory tract down into the lungs. And as such, it's been shown to reduce the risk of hospitalization due to an RSV infection by roughly half in premature babies. So uh, it's an effective intervention, but it's, you know, like monthly injections is, is, uh, is, 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 is a bit of a burden on the family and on the healthcare system. It's also a costly product, but so that's why it's really, its use is targeted to the highest risk infants, whether it be uh, certain degrees of prematurity, prematurity with uh, chronic lung disease, or uh, congenital heart disease as well, especially during that first uh, year of life. And now eligibility for palivizumab varies across provinces. So different provinces will have different cutoffs in terms of what they feel is where the risk of severe RSV disease is 
worth the intervention of, of palibizumab. So uh, really, you need to look at your province's eligibility schedule to be able to say, well, if they were born at certain, at what, what, as of what gestational age or under what gestational age, would a child be eligible for palibizumab? Now, looking a little bit into the future, uh, there are other RSV preventions that are uh, really getting very close to being approved for use in Canada. And the first one is another monoclonal antibody. This one's called nirsevimab, and it's similar to palivizumab, and it has the same mechanism of action uh, in terms of neutralizing RSV, except that it has a much greater affinity for the RSV surface protein, the F protein that it blocks. And it's been, the monoclonal antibody has been changed to have a, a much longer half-life as well. So putting that, those things, two things together, uh, it's been shown that you can give nirsevimab as a single injection at the beginning of the winter season, and it, the protection will last for 150 days. So basically for the duration of a winter se- of an RSV season. So a single dose to prevent hospitalization due to RSV. And in the randomized controlled trials, the efficacy of nirsevimab is really quite similar to that of palivizumab. What's really, I think, kind of groundbreaking with nirsevimab is that it wasn't just studied in high-risk populations, but it, though it was studied in premature babies, uh, not extremely, pre- not extreme premature babies, but in premature babies that were born 29 weeks uh, gestational age or greater, uh, in terms of its efficacy, and it was also studied in otherwise healthy full-term babies. So potentially, this might be an intervention that can be given to all newborns who were born uh, near the start of the RSV season or during the RSV season to protect them during those first months of life when they're at highest risk of requiring hospitalizations. And we know that prematurity, cardiac disease, chronic lung disease, these conditions really put babies at higher risk of uh, RSV hospitalization. But the vast majority, probably over 70% of RSV hospitalizations are in children who don't have any underlying chronic medical condition or at-risk condition. It's really just age that puts them at risk for severe RSV disease. So the potential for having a a product that could prevent RSV disease in all infants is really quite exciting. Now that we haven't, this does not, it does not yet have Health Canada approval, although it has been approved for use in Europe. uh, And it also needs to undergo evaluation by uh, you know, agencies such as the National Advisory Committee on Immunization or a provincial immunization uh, uh, advisory groups to decide, well, what's the best way to use it? Because it, it you know, costs are going to be an issue as well. How effective is it in the different age groups? Are we going to restrict it more to the youngest kids or during the whole first year of life? These are still questions that uh, have not been answered, but I would expect to see Nersep potentially, if not being used in Canada, the next RSV season, uh, or this next coming RSV season, then definitely the one after that, uh, its, its approval is going to be quite soon. And then a little bit further down the road, but really also very interesting, is vaccination of pregnant persons to protect young infants from severe RSV disease. And uh, there's a product that's available where uh, you, by vaccinating the, the pregnant person during the third trimester, they develop their rise in antibodies. There's that passive transfer to baby. And those antibodies have been shown to be really good at preventing, well, those mom's antibodies have been shown to be really good at preventing RSV disease during the first three months of life, but up to six months of life. So vaccinating the mom 
not really to protect mom from RSV disease because pregnant persons aren't necessarily at much higher risk of having severe RSV compared to the general population for their age, but really to protect the baby. So this is another potential intervention that uh, I think we're going to have to look at the two possibilities, which ones are going to, which one is going to be used in Canada. I mean, there are issues regarding, I think, uh, costs are going to be issues regarding the feasibility of administrating. Is, is it easier to administer a shot to a newborn or is it easier to administer a vaccine to a pregnant person to protect the baby? And then also, obviously, the premature babies, uh, they might be born before the vaccine was given to the pregnant person. So it would be, you know, that, that, that particular modality won't be effective at preventing, I think, at protecting the premature babies who are at higher risk. So these are all things that are, it's really exciting, but there's still a lot of questions about what are the best ways to use these new products that are gonna be available. It's, it's great, because I think that it, the bottom line is that we are gonna see, I think, a substantial protection from severe RSV disease from either one of these products or a combination of the two. It certainly is a, a fascinating time to be talking about a disease when you have so many new things on the horizon that are about to come into play. Um, is there anything else about it that you'd like to add before we wrap up today? No, I think we've we've uh, covered, uh, I think, the essentials for, for RSV in terms of how different these last seasons have been, uh, where I expect to see like the next season to be. I think it's going to kind of more normalize, hopefully. Uh, but everybody's crystal ball has been a bit murky lately with the pandemic. And then, yeah, exciting developments that uh, I think we're going to see new products available for the prevention of RSV very, very soon, if not this season, then probably the season after that. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Dr. Jesse Pappenberg practices at the Montreal Children's Hospital of the McGill University Health Centre. Be sure to listen to our other podcasts in this series focusing on RSV. NeoChats is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses. The content producer and host is Jenna Morton. Technical production by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub. For more information on the association, visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram pages.